Welcome to the Lead On Podcast. This is Jeff Orge, the president of Gateway Seminary, talking with you once again about practical issues related to ministry leadership. Well, as we begin this podcast, let me apologize for heavy congestion that is going to impact the podcast today. We will do our best to edit out the coughs and sneezes and wheezes and other respiratory noises and make it through these 30 minutes together. But just one apology up front, then that's all you get. We'll do the best we can. Well, today on the podcast, I want to talk about dealing with temptations that come to us as leaders. Now, we always think of temptations in terms of the personal dimensions and personal issues, like I'm tempted to eat too much, or I'm tempted to watch something I shouldn't see, or I'm tempted to be involved in some way with someone that uh, I should not. Well, those are certainly temptations, and they are temptations that fall to all of us, including leaders. But I want to speak more specifically today about some of the kinds of temptations uh, that come to leaders, and then some of the ways that we can work to resist those temptations. A lot of the temptations that come to us as leaders really come in various forms, but under the title of entitlement. We feel that we are entitled to something, or we are tempted to do something, participate in something, say something, or uh, otherwise act in a way that's not appropriate, because we are entitled to whatever the temptation concerns. For example, we might be tempted to do something and we would say, it's okay for me to do this because I deserve it. Or we might be tempted and we might say, it's okay for me to do this because no one will really notice or care if I do this. I mean, after all, I'm the leader People expect me to take on certain privileges, to have certain perks come my way. Who will really notice or care if I did this? Another one, I'm tempted to do something because the people I serve owe it to me or I owe it to myself. All of these subtle temptations, I deserve this. No one will really notice or care if I do this. They owe it to me or I owe it to myself because of what my leadership responsibilities demand of me. All of these subtle temptations are rooted in a sense of entitlement that some leaders allow to creep in and begin to shape or change the way we view life. So I want to talk today about managing temptation, recognizing temptation, and most importantly, resisting temptation. Now, to do that, I want to draw your attention to the book of James in the Bible, chapter 1, verse 13, where some of these issues are addressed. James writes in one thirteen. No one undergoing a trial should say, I am being tempted by God. Since God is not tempted by evil, and he himself doesn't 
tempt anyone. Wow. What a bold statement that is. I am being tempted by God. Some people were apparently claiming God was the source of their temptations. And of course, James confronts this and says, God is not tempted by evil, and he himself doesn't tempt anyone. That's very direct language and very direct response. So, if you are a person who might think, well, I'm being tempted, but I'm being tempted by God, then the response would be back to you, God is not tempted by evil, and he does not himself tempt anyone. But you might also be saying, well, I would never say anything like that. Are you so sure? You see, this attributing temptation to God and justifying our response to it because it is in some way God's fault is more subtle and frankly, much more common than you might think. Let me give you some examples of how people attribute their temptation to God. First, they say things like, well, my dad had a temper, and I learned how to express my anger from him. And so, I'm sorry, when I give in to my anger and I express my temper that way, well, that's just me being like my dad. Really? Well, who gave you to your father? Well, that would be God. He selected your parents. He's the cause of your biological uh, root. (laughs) And so when you blame your anger or your temper or any other of your behaviors on your father, on your mother, you are subtly saying, I am not responsible for my temptations and how I respond to them. I am not responsible for feeling these ways or doing these things because after all, my parents made me this way. And of course, God was behind the whole thing. Here's another one. Well, I just really can't resist temptation to eat certain foods or to participate in certain sexual activities or uh, to uh, do certain things that bring my bring me personal pleasure because, well, this is the body that I have and it's what the body demands and it's what the body needs. Therefore, I'm justified in giving into these temptations and going along with whatever it is I crave. Well, once again, I ask the simple question, Who made your body? Who created humankind? Well, of course, the answer is obvious. It's God. So if you're going to justify giving in to temptation based on the fact that you've got the body that that you specifically have and that there's not much you can do about it and you just have to give in and go along, well, you're subtly blaming God for your temptation. Here's another one. 
Well, I'm tempted because the world I live in is just so evil. In fact, the the, the country I live in, the the state I live in, the the city I live in, the, the neighborhood I live in, the the circumstances of my culture are so bad that I just can't resist temptation. Well, once again, who placed you where you are at this particular time in history, at this particular juncture point, at this particular location, among these, in this particular cultural context? Well, it was God himself. I used to have a friend who regularly told me that he had been born a hundred years too late. He said, Jeff, I was really born to function in the 1800s, not even the 1900s. Well, he was wrong about that. He was made to function in the exact era, location, context in which God made him and intended. So for him to try to justify giving into temptation because of the culture that he lived in is another subtle way of blaming the whole thing on God. So while most of us are more sophisticated than simply blurting out like this person apparently did that James was addressing, I am being tempted by God. (laughs) Most of us are not that blatant. All of us struggle with the subtleties of dissembling our responsibility and shuffling it off on God. Well, my daddy had a temper, or... Well, uh, my body craves food, or, well, my, my culture is so depraved. So because of these things over which we have had no control and where we are placed because of God and his work in our lives, we then can't any longer say, I'm tempted by God because these things are so overwhelming in my life. No, your temptations are not from God. They are your problem and they are your responsibility. Now I'll date myself here for sure. But back in the day, there was a comedian and he had uh, a significant television program for a number of years. His name was Flip Wilson. He had a famous byline when he was making jokes about himself and his behaviors, and his famous byline was, the devil made me do it. The devil made me do it. Well, even in that comedian's shtick, he was trying to shuffle off the blame and say, it really isn't my responsibility what I've done. I can't really be blamed for giving into these temptations because after all, (laughs) the devil made me do it. So whether you're a comedian with a tagline, or whether you're a confused Christian trying to excuse your behaviors, you can't blame your temptations on the devil. You can't blame your temptations on God. You have to take personal responsibility for them yourselves. You have to own them, confront them, resist them, manage them. It's interesting how temptation is described then, continuing in this passage In verse 14, it said, but each person is tempted when he is drawn away and enticed by his own evil desires. These two words, drawn away, and then the word enticed, really come out of uh, examples related to the animal kingdom. 
when it says, but each person is tempted when he is drawn away, the word literally means calling an animal from a hiding place or leading an animal uh, out of its den or out of its uh, home, out of its protective place into a place of vulnerability. It's drawn out or drawn away. And then that second word, enticed, is also a word that relates to animals, and it means lured like a fish. So let's put these two together. Temptation is something that comes along and entices you to leave a place of safety and lures you into activity by which the temptation then captures you. Are you familiar with a concept called noodling? Well, this is a crazy thing that some people do. They go into rivers or streams or even lakes where there are large catfish, and they reach down in the water under logs and in other places, and they wiggle their fingers, that's the drawn away part of the verse, and they lure them or entice them to bite down on their arm. Now, noodling goes after catfish that are so large that when they open their mouths, they can swallow a whole person's, uh, a person's whole fist or hand entirely. So the idea of noodling is that you reach down under a log and you wiggle those fingers and you draw out that fish and you lure it, tempting it, if you will. And then at a moment in time, it will seize upon those, uh, those wiggling fingers, not by nibbling or picking them off one by one, but by engulfing the whole hand in one giant large bite. And just imagine that you've got a catfish. Its mouth is around your wrist. Its, mouth, its head is over your hand. Its body is hanging down from there. And when that fish reaches out and takes onto you, It's enticed away, the verse says, and lured, if you will, into this this action. The moment that it clamps onto you, you then, with your hand, close and clamp on to the inside of that fish. Now, you might say, well, the fish succumbed to the temptation and took the lure or took the bait, and that's exactly true. But in this next moment, Who is the one who's captured? Not the fish that went after the bait, but the hand that now is clinging or holding to the fish. Well, that's a great picture of temptation, isn't it? We're moving through life, and then we're drawn away or enticed from the kind of living that we want to do, and whether it's in a moment or whether it's over a season or whether it's a series of events, but We succumb to temptation and we start doing that which we know is wrong, that we don't want to do, we don't want to be involved in, and yet those behaviors latch onto us. They they capture us. It's just like that noodling catfish. The fish launches out and latches on to the arm. And you might say, well, the fish has the arm, but not really. Because that hand is now closed tightly around the inside of that fish and has it entirely in its power. So, this is a good picture of what temptation does. It seizes us. It grabs onto us. It controls us. 
It becomes sin that d- dominates us. Oh, my, what a picture this is in verse 14. Now, having said all that, in terms of your leadership responsibility, let's remember, though, a couple of good key points. Being tempted is not necessarily a sin. In fact, all being tempted means is that you are alive and that you're human. That feels good, doesn't it? If you're tempted, it means you're alive and you're human. doesn't mean you've done anything wrong yet. But when you give in to temptation and swallow that enticing lure that's put before you, then the temptation can turn into sinful actions. It's so important not to fixate too much on these feelings we might have of false guilt that come from being tempted. Those are really not our problem. Instead, we have to recognize the importance of resisting temptation early on, not becoming preoccupied with it, but moving on from it as quickly and as rapidly as possible. The passage of Scripture we're looking at helps us to understand this a little bit more. It says, after teaching us about being tempted and drawn away, then verse 15, it says, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is fully grown, it gives birth to death. Combining metaphors here of conception, birth, uh, growth, and then death helps us understand the progression we want to avoid when temptation comes our way. Being tempted is not necessarily a sin. That's this illustration of when desire comes, it's just simply a desire conceived. You feel it. You sense the urgency of it. You see the opportunity, but you have a check in your spirit because you know this is a temptation and this temptation must be resisted. Now, this is important because the illustration goes on. When you resist temptation at the moment of conception, nothing else after that can happen to you. But if you don't, it says, your temptation will give birth to sin. And when sin is fully grown, it will give birth to death. So this illustration of a child being conceived, maturing, and then being born is a very good one to help us understand about temptation. When you are tempted, you've not necessarily sinned, but there is that conception moment when temptation is trying to produce sinful thought, action, choice in your life. And in that moment, you have to resist temptation. Because if you can prevent the conception, (laughs) you definitely will prevent the gestation and birth process, which will follow. You know, if you don't want to have a baby, don't get pregnant. And in this context, if you don't want to fall fully into sinful behavior, then stop it at the temptation. Cut it off at the very beginning. Don't let it gain a foothold in your life, your thoughts, your practices, your ideas. Don't conceive. Oh, yes, temptation might go by, but let it go by. Don't give it a second thought. Don't meditate on it. Don't dally with it. Don't think about it. Because in the doing of all of those things, you are creating the capacity 
for sin to be conceived in your life. Well, so we've learned so far the subtleties of leadership temptation that are so centered on entitlement. I deserve this. Uh, No one will ever know. And if they do know, they won't care. Uh, They owe me or I owe myself. All of these kind of subtle temptations that come to us in our leadership role. We've talked about how those come, and we've talked about uh, recognizing them, managing them, and then understanding the importance of cutting them off early on in our relationships. But the passage then ends with some good instruction about how we resist temptation. And for this part of the message or part of the teaching, it's important to understand that this is not just true of leaders, but it's true of everyone. Now, you can't let that be diminished. Or you can't diminish that in your mind and say, well, if it's for everyone, then it must not be for me because I'm a leader and I'm special and I'm different. No, that's not right. In this case, being for everyone is a good thing because it gives you the same resources that every other believer has to deal with the very same kind of temptations that we're all facing all the time. And when you come into Christian leadership, those don't go away. Some new ones get added, but you still have the same resources to overcome those temptations. Well, what are those resources? Well, the first one is your new life in Jesus Christ. Look at what the Bible says, continuing in verse 16 of chapter 1 of James. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, who, do, who does not change by shifting shadows. God has given us a gift of a new birth from above. Now, the Bible talks so much about all the different benefits that come to us when we are born again and we are converted and we are saved, all these different words meaning the same basic experience. When we come to the moment of new birth, we have new life in Jesus Christ. And it is in that new life that we have this remarkable capacity to resist temptation. And then a second way is that we resist temptation by obeying the word of God. The Bible goes on to say, uh, continuing now, my dear brothers and sisters, understand this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For human anger does not accomplish God's righteousness. Therefore, ridding yourselves of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, humbly receive the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Humbly receive the implanted word which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. And then he goes on from there into these illustrations about what it means to really intake the word of God and let it be transformational in your life. So, as you are dealing with temptation that comes at you as a leader, you have these two overarching significant resources to draw from. First, you have your new birth experience, your conversion. And second, you have the message of truth or the truth about life that emerges from the truth of the gospel taught throughout the Bible. You have new birth and you have strength from the Word of God. And these two things coupled together give you the strength you need to resist leadership temptations. Now, 
As we're coming toward the conclusion here, let's talk a little bit more about what these temptations look like. They are temptations of entitlement. Temptations that say, I deserve this, no one will care or know, or if I do these things, they owe me or I owe myself because of what I've done for these people in leadership. A few years ago, there was a very prominent pastor here in the Western United States. He was uh, recognized as a trustee of national agencies from his region. He was esteemed in his uh, area. He was a frequent guest, preacher, and minister in various contexts. There came a time, though, when his church leadership started to suspicion that he was misusing church funds. And so they uh, quizzed him about it carefully and watched him closely, and then over a period of a few weeks or a few months found the patterns that they were uh, assuming were there, and he was confronted. He was confronted for spending church resources for vacation-like trips and then reimbursing those trips with church money uh, to support his uh, travels and his, uh, his experiences. When he was asked, why did you do this? I will never, ever forget his answer. He said, I felt they owed it to me. And when pressed a bit, he revealed that over the previous two or three years, he felt his church had been particularly demanding of him, asking a lot in terms of ministry leadership and all that was associated with that. And he had willingly given that extra effort until, until he reached a point where he was feeling vulnerable and burned out and uh, underappreciated and, in fact, even exhausted. And so rather than confront those issues, no, he started listening to that little voice that said, you know, you're really hurting. You know, you're really putting a lot of sacrifice into this ministry. You know, no one really understands you. You know, you really ought to do something about this so you'd feel better about everything and especially be better, feel better about yourself. You know, if you took a little bit of the church's money that they're allowing you for travel and just spent that to maybe get away for a few days, that might be helpful. And so he started doing that. And over the next, uh, over several month period of time, he continually misused church funds, paying for these trips that were uh, not work-related, but he was expensing as if they were. And again, I never forget the conversation when I asked him, why did you do that? And he said, I felt they owed it to me. Entitlement. A sense of a temptation that brought with it a sense that somebody somewhere was supposed to get some benefit and he felt like he needed to take care of it and pay it to himself. Well, that's just one example of what I'm talking about today where you get caught up in something that that really you, you never would have done if you'd have just been thinking more clearly and recognized the temptation when it first came. Look, if you're a leader, if you're a leader, you're going to be tempted. 
And yes, you're going to be tempted to all the things that most other people are tempted to participate in, in terms of overeating and overindulging in sexual activity or getting involved with the wrong person or saying something you shouldn't say or out or lashing out in a way that's inappropriate or unhealthy. All of that's to be sure. But the unique, perhaps, temptations of leadership are these temptations of entitlement. Of that little voice coming along and saying, you deserve it, you need it, they owe it to you. That little voice coming along and saying, no one will notice, and if they do, no one will really care. You know, you're special. You're different. No one really understands. All of these phrases are these subtle temptations connected to entitlement and the subtly destructive force it is for ministry leaders. Well, today on the podcast, we've talked about temptation. We've talked about understanding it, managing it, resisting it. And we've talked specifically about the kind of subtle temptations that come to us as leaders when we think that we deserve something, we're owed something, that something should come to us because of our position or because of our service or because of our sacrifice, all under that big umbrella, entitlement. Listen, if you're drifting today, if that enticing lure is out there and you're feeling yourself drifting, in the wind of temptation and headed toward fulfilling it. Remember that illustration of the baby. Before the conceiving of sin occurs and the baby grows through the gestation period and a full-blown, in this case, negative disaster occurs, go back to the beginning and stop it before the conceiving of sin takes place when temptation comes your way. Leaders, when they succumb to temptation, damage is serious. Let's be on guard that this not be a part of our lives. Let's be aware of temptation, the subtleties of temptation that are unique to leadership, and how we can stand against them for our good and God's glory. Resist temptation today as you lead on.